0: The mission of A.T.I.P. was quite simple. It was to collect and analyze information
1: involving anomalous uh, aerial vehicles. Uh, what, I guess in the vernacular, you, you call them UFOs. We call them UAPs.
2: You know how this sounds. It sounds nutty,
1: wacky. Yeah, look, Bill, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that, that it doesn't sound wacky. What I'm telling you is real. The question is, what is it? What are its intentions? What are its capabilities?
3: Brett George, welcome to the broadcast once again.
4: Well, thank you.
3: How are you tonight?
4: I am very well, thank you for asking.
3: And uh, things going well with Sax Spirit and Melissa at home?
4: We're very, very busy, but things are going well, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, the reason she couldn't be here with us uh, this evening is that she actually has a phone reading at the, that she's conducting at this, uh, this very moment. Right on. You reached out to me and said, are you free? I was like, yeah, because as I told uh, Rob at one point, I'm not involved in the phone rating, so I happen to be free. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right on. Well, thank you for uh, – I I did call you in here pretty last minute.
4: Yeah, a little bit. That's uh, all right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, you know, it's 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 weird. I've just been having a hard time figuring out, like, my, my footing, my placement in the new rendition of the podcast. It, it seems to be an ever-evolving – Type of thing. You've been that, doing
4: some interesting stuff on it for sure, and now we've got the Robcast or the the Probcast. The Probcast. It's hard to say. Do
3: you? Okay, I was going to say, do you approve of the name? But
4: I do, I do. But I, I mean, if it was me personally, I like Robcast just as good. Yeah. Just as well.
3: It, it does sound like the consensus is rob cast it's, i like
4: Robcast, yeah. yeah if he wants to call the problem cast call the problem cast but yeah.
3: it's pretty cool though right yeah
4: yeah absolutely yeah. no no it's it's been interesting and i just uh i never get tired of hearing you talk and i never get tired of hearing rob talk
3: oh man thank you so much yeah. i don't get tired of, i don't get tired of hearing you talk either so this oh, is a, this I'd, is a very special treat i babble <laughs> But you do babble about very interesting things, in my opinion. That's probably true. And and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on here, because it seems to be that UFOs are in the news. Once again. Once again, but it does seem like the interest is kind of waning, at least with the public. Um, But we've been seeing a lot of stories about the Navy and uh, declassifying all these videos of all of these UAVs that are... uh, technologies that are not fathomable by the pilots that are out there that are witnessing this
4: well very specifically the the 60 minutes piece that you you guys referenced on the air and i did watch that piece and i thought it was phenomenal was to me that's taking it to the the next level Mm -hmm. Uh, Navy pilots aren't usually willing to get in front of a, a national audience like 60 minutes and say yeah they're real
3: yeah, I remember I, I was watching that interview earlier yeah. today and it and it was interesting to see the pilots actually up front say, before they even admitted what they had seen, that I would never stand in front of the stand in the public yeah. and and say anything like this unless I didn't have somebody else to help corroborate my story.
4: Yeah, if I was alone. Right. You know, absolutely not. Airline pilots, same thing. Airline pilots see this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. They're told them to in uncertain terms, they will lose their jobs if they say anything.
3: Now you have mentioned in in, in previous episodes of the broadcast that you are fascinated with aviation, that you have absolutely. something rooted deep inside you and you are very passionate about the aviation. Just
4: well, all together. It, as right? a child, I had a prior knowledge right. of, of uh, the inner workings of aircraft that I shouldn't have had. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which is incredible. And yeah. you've trans- you translated that into your uh, fly- flight simulator that you are frequently using. Which, by the way, you just broke your computer recently and had to rebuild the whole thing, right?
4: Well, I didn't rebuild it. That wouldn't be fair to say. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to build a computer, but I don't know that I trust my my technical skills that right. much. I right. probably could do it, but I, I'm just lazy. i just gotten by a new one nice. like, like everybody else so yeah <laughs> um my old my old XPS that it, it, it died the uh, the power unit actually fried there was actually burn marks where there had been smoke oh, and my the power unit burned out it wouldn't have caused the fire and, but it uh, it did burn burn out the power unit. Probably mm. slap a new power unit in there, and it would have it would have been good for another couple of years. But that hard drive was 10, 12 years old. Oh my gosh! So it was time for a new one. I I picked up a new Alienware, uh, fittingly enough. Nice. They're they're really nice. I oh yeah. If you, if you can pop for it, they're
3: you did have all the led lights in the tower and everything yeah yeah
4: <laughs> cool uh, and of course so i got the 34 inch monitor sweet uh, sweet <laughs> so the curved monitor you turn out the lights you know it's just like you don't even need the multiple monitors oh. for the for the flight simulator it just does the does the whole thing in one monitor for you and yeah flight simulator 2020 uh, was one of the first things i bought i bought the premium deluxe edition of mm. course so you got all the extra planes and i haven't even flown half of them yet and it's super super realistic i uh, i've want to talk to Rob about it because I'm assuming that he's, he's picked up the software as well. And it's just, it's very, very realistic. Um, and yet, as Microsoft always has and probably always will, they write some tongue-in-cheek stuff into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I'm fond of, I'm fond of yeah. saying that the ground crew in Microsoft Flight Simulator are all homicidal. <laughs> The the ground crew tries to kill you. (laughs) That's hilarious.
3: You got to tell the story about when you landed in Area 51. Oh, that's great. In uh, Area 51.
4: You know, know, being me being me, one of the first things I'm going to do is flight Area 51, right? Yeah. Right. And uh, so they made a whole, in Flight Simulator 10, to back up a little bit, Flight Simulator 10, which came out in 2010, 2009, Mm -hmm. or something like that. And that was the last one until this recent version. Uh, they made a big deal of it. They they had an activity that you could do where you fly a, a Jana Airlines jet, the red and white jets. I um, mean, that's real, uh, or at least it used to be. Uh, that were the airlines that went into that. That is not aliens in the background. No. That's that's Walter. <laughs> that's my dog Walter, just groaning <laughs> because. It's you know, you could do this activity and, and fly in there and, and, and the UFO the UFO chases you in Flight Simulator. And they do this whole deal and they, uh, you know, it's, and it's called Area 51 and uh, you know, Groom Lake and, and all of this. They made a big deal of it. In flight, and, you know, they obviously had gotten released to do this so complete with Janet Airlines uh, Flight Simulator 2020 gone. Really? Now that now they do have Area 51, and it's very very detailed and it's very cool, mm-hmm. but you have to find it and you have to know where it is because oh. it's called in Flight Simulator 2020, and I absolutely love this. The people at the Microsoft have quite a sense of humor. It's called Homie. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's called Homie. It you just it spelled H O M E Y. Wow. Uh, airport, and so you would never know to look on the little chart that that's what it is. Wow. I wonder you know, why they chose that. And now. the li- and the, the runways are not lit up. If you yeah. land there at night, you got to know. Where it is, you gotta uh, run. Uh, you gotta land what they call IFR, uh, instrument flight rules, because you can't really see the ground until you almost hit it. Right. So, but you, you land there, and it was pretty funny. It, it was. Uh, I landed there in the, a, a King Air, and this van. This van comes out from the back of the base and just sits there and turns off it has head- I swear to God this happened and <laughs> turns off its headlights and just watches me and I'm like, well that's interesting you know and of course they programmed all this in all right. but and then I went to the back of the uh, I started to taxi towards uh, towards the larger hangars one of them's the famous hangar 18. Mm-hmm. And I start uh, taxiing towards hangar 18 and this city bus come comes out of nowhere and starts just doing circles on the tarmac so in front of me so I couldn't do, go anywhere. What? It was crazy. <laughs> so I had to go around back and, and, and subvert the city bus that was just doing cookies in the parking lot in <laughs> <laughs> the city bus. And what's the city bus doing there anyways, right? <laughs> uh, and, and so I'm just having a hoot. I'm, I'm just laughing at, at this point.
3: Perhaps was had scene from Speed when they were right? circling the tarmac.
4: Exactly. <laughs> and I get, the, I get the Hangar 18, and these uh, two cars come and park in front of me and block my path so I can't go any further. Mm-hmm. And I actually, and so it was pretty funny, and I, I had to, they had to turn around using what's called differential brakes, and and uh, you know, of course, you know, if you hit them, then the simulation just ends and it says, "Oh, you crashed, <laughs> <laughs> you crashed at the ground." But road.
3: at one point, like when you when you're seeing all this happen and you're you're, you're parked there on the the tarmac there right. in, at Area Fifty One, and you see these vans and stuff, do you like, do you turn around and look like somebody watching me, like? You feel like you're you're in some sort of secret place, and that, that there's some sort of eye watching you or something.
4: Well, look, this is a computer that connects to the internet wirelessly. <laughs> it, it's high technology. Yeah. Um. You know, and and it's uh, you know, it's connected to connected to my home network through mm-hmm. uh, through. Well, I won't say what company, uh, but a very co- a very common company mm-hmm. that doesn't have any ampersands in it or <laughs> any ends. <anyways>. Pacific Bell. <laughs> right. Um, anyways, um, and, and uh, yeah, that's the trade-off. Yeah. It, it, of course, they, of course, they're. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say they're watching. I don't want to sound paranoid. They can if they want to. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Right. And that is true. I mean, it's it, that's the trade-off. We get to enjoy the fun and have the technology. If anybody thinks they have any kind of privacy when they're when they're online playing with the computers like that, mm-hmm. think again. You have no privacy. Right.
3: We're also not that interesting. If you really think about it, yeah, I mean, right. we, you and I will go on and we'll search stuff about UFOs and, and the the Art Bell uh, uh, interviews. Yeah. You know, Th- that's all stuff that's always that's been available for a long sure, time. Sure, sure. So it's not like Look up,
4: on, up on the internet.
3: Right. So it's not like there is some sort of secret. I think the secret's out. And now I think it's a matter of compiling all the information and and coming to the conclusions that that hopefully we'll get some answers to. Apparently, there's supposed to be some sort of uh, release to the to to Congress, uh, some sort of statement on what's going on in the skies.
4: And they gave them a month. Yeah, they gave them 30 days to present a report to Congress. That's amazing all by itself. Is it? Congress can't clean the bathroom in 30 days. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that does seem
3: like a rush job, right? Yeah, that
4: is a rush job. Yeah. A, a, a full report on something extensive as this yeah. in 30 days that's like, uh, the, the, that's like calling somebody into your radio show with an hour's notice. Right. Being <laughs> like you
3: <laughs> well I, I mean it does seem like there's an overwhelming amount of of evidence that's been built up and yeah. all this stuff that the pentagon has been capturing over the last couple of decades through the various programs that they've had yeah. um which are still being funded or are these are these all defunded now all of these uav um are, th- are they still in operation as far as, like, tracking all of these UFOs and things? Or is you know this as like much as defunct- I do
4: about oh, that. Of course. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> Corso talks about the government within the government. Right. And that's always been, you know, there's a, there's a phrase that I use in my book a lot, of, uh, and it's just a very common phrase, hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what UFOs are. They are hiding in plain sight. Both, uh, both literally in the skies and figuratively uh, in the American culture, and, and uh, the, the so, some of the interviews that we were talking about, such as the Philip, the Colonel Philip Corso mm-hmm. uh, interview, talks about that. Is you know, if you you know, it's an hour of your time to listen to that interview, and he and the things he says, you you absolutely in the book as well. You have to make one of two decisions about it. either the guy's completely bonkers, <laughs> uh, you, you know, and he's and he's just a sad old man that doesn't know what he's talking about and probably drooling, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of the unofficial explanation that was given to us at the time back in '97, mm-hmm. um, or he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, why is it not on? Why is it not the the lead news story in every major outlet? Yeah, because. We don't want to hear it. Yeah. One of the stories that uh, you'll hear in the course of an interview is how, um, ha- how as a, uh, a radar operator, uh, in that interview, as a radar operator, he, he tracked, and this is back in the, like, in the 60s, mm-hmm. he tracked uh, a- aircraft traveling at 3,000 to 4,000 miles per hour. Wow. You know, and so he went to of course, you know, being a being a good government employee, he went to his uh went to his superiors and, you know, said I I need to file a report. You know, this is what these aircraft were doing, this is what they're capable of. They're going three thousand, four thousand miles an hour and they're making right angle turns, so this is what they're doing, you know, who should I file a report to? And they and their answer to them was we're not interested. Mm-hmm. We're not interested in the report. Don't don't bother writing a report.
3: Is that because of ignorance? Is that because don't 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 want to see it. Don't want to know about it. Blah 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 blah. It's little, too much. Too much for my brain to comprehend. A little comprehend. bit of
4: both. Yeah, of yeah, uh, the explanation that was given to them at the time, and they remember this was back in the '60s. Now, mm. uh, the um, anything that travels at that rate of speed is not a threat to the United States because it's not ours.
3: <laughs> but now we're.
4: And looking it's not at, anybody else's, right? Well, <laughs> we're and, but
3: we're looking up at the sky now. We're going. Uh, is that Russia? Is that China? Like that? Now it's actually they're actually wondering. Could this be technology right. developed by other countries?
4: Well, we've certainly dropped the ball a, a, a long ways back. If they are now, haven't we? <laughs> haven't we? I'm. We should be embarrassed. And and you know nothing against Russia or China, but no, we don't have technology that can do that. I laughed out loud when they said that in the sixty minutes interview. You know, really? it's a, they're trying to find a, a way to explain it that won't get them fired. Right is essentially essentially what that is. These are aircraft that can. Accelerate exponentially, mm-hmm. uh, and they can they can move from zero miles an hour to three thousand miles per hour without a runway. They can just go straight up in the air, mm-hmm. and they and uh, one of them one of them said they uh, lost eighty thousand feet of altitude in two seconds. We just don't have... I said this on Podcast 91. Mm. We don't have stuff that can do that. You have to understand that those kind of G-forces, and to quote the 60-minute story, 600 Gs. Do you know what 600 Gs would do to a human body? Turn you into soup. Yeah. <laughs> un, under, understand that the space, shuttle, the, the space shuttle pulls, and I'm probably going to be off on this, but the space shuttle pulls 6 Gs maximum. Really? The Apollo... The Apollo uh, Eleven rockets. The Apollo program rockets were the most powerful rockets that have ever been deployed into space mm-hmm. uh, in, in, termed, in terms of pounds of thrust. Anyways, yeah. and uh, those pulled a whopping eight Gs. Good lord! We're talking about aircraft that pull six hundred Gs. That's insane. So the occupants would be turned to goo. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, people it, it, soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's not. It's not Russia or China. We do. We don't have. Uh, the, the guy in the 60 Minutes interview said it best, is we are nowhere near mm-hmm. even being able to begin testing technology like that. Mm-hmm. We don't have it. It's not ours, and it's not from across the pond either. It's uh, uh it's from across a much larger pond.
3: <laughs> a galactic
4: pond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> so before we get into the, uh, the Colonel Philip Corso interview with sure. Art Bell from 97, I wanted to just ask you straight up. Do you believe that they've been here all along and, and do you believe that they're here in peace?
4: It's those are two separate questions and all those right. are two very excellent questions. Oh, thank you. You know, and and the short answer to both of them is I don't know. Yeah. I think that's the only intelligent answer to those questions. I think that there is evidence that they have been here for a very long time. Uh-huh. You know, a couple thousand years, three thousand years, maybe as much as eight thousand years. Um, if we go back to. The, uh, a lot of people don't know that the uh, Sphinx at Egypt uh, predates the pyramids. It was there when oh. they started. It was there when they start building the pyramids. We know that because of the water lines on the f- uh, on the Sphinx. At one time, half of it was underwater. Didn't know that. And, and so, so we know that because of that, you know, the it pre- whatever whenever that that area was underwater was a lot longer ago than eight thousand years. Mm-hmm. So, who built it and why? So, you know, when they got the idea to build the great pyramids, you know, beginning you know beginning 8 to you know 4000 years BC mm-hmm. uh you know that uh, it was already there. So, there there's evidence like that and th- that kind of evidence is all around the globe, the underwater structures that we don't understand how they got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there's evidence that they've been around for at least several thousand years, right? And I think that if you Go down the rabbit hole. I've, I warned you about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, if you go down the rabbit hole, the, you have to come to at least that conclusion. Right. Now, there are the, there are arguments, and uh, they talked about this in the movie Mission to Mars. It was sort of the sole reason for the existence of that movie. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, I've but, seen it. Yeah, where they talk about you know that they, they actually are responsible for the seeding of the human race. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true. I How could I know if that's true? Sure. Do they come in peace? Right. Well— you know that gets into that gets into. I mean, I said I don't know, but I would say in some ways, I would say no, and I say that carefully, because they may just have a different concept of what is and isn't okay. They're going to have a different a different morality, a different oh, social structure. Absolutely. You know, uh, they they may not completely understand what they are doing, but let's just take. Let's take um, you know, induct you know invasions, you mm-hmm. know uh, alien abductions, and let's assume that they're true for a second. Uh, what you, you take and and that's a that's a whole fascinating branch of all this. The fire in the sky story oh, yeah. is very very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill going back to the fifties. Um, there's a lot of people that have come out and said you know, hey, this happened to me, and you know, and they ha- they've had missing time. Well. That's not friendly, is it? No. Um, if, you, if One of the movies I want you to see, if you haven't seen it already, is The Fourth Kind. Oh, I was
3: just thinking about The Fourth Kind.
4: see The Fourth Kind it's because a great movie. that's a great movie. And they and, put
3: side-by-side side of yeah. reenactment and the actual footage.
4: Oh, man, dude, I had to turn on all the lights. Uh, I was living in an apartment at the time. I had to turn on all the lights in the apartment after the movie. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's, the, that's the first movie that, that that has actually scared me since I was a little kid. Seriously? Yeah. The, when
3: that guy starts elevating off of the bed it in his, is, in his yeah. gym. Jaw
4: opens up way too wide. Right, that was creepy. It's just not okay. And they have actual footage, um, and some of the footage they have is from police cruisers. And mm-hmm. the police department would not cooperate with the film. Wow. But they have police footage through the through the 1968 Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. So they got that. That's how they got that. Wow. I was surprised that they were able to get that police footage. No kidding. But you know, you can't you can't do that unless you unless it's clear that you're making that, that it's fake and and it's you know that it's for fun mm-hmm. if you say this is actual police footage and you use actual police footage then it better be actual police footage mm-hmm. you know if you're making a fictional piece that's different mm-hmm. but but for what they did that the, you wouldn't do that. You just yeah. you, you wouldn't do that. and You couldn't do that. But the really interesting thing, and I wondered if this was going to come up, uh, but the uh, what, the really interesting thing about that film is that they, they claim, and I have no idea if it's true, but they claim to have an audio recording of an actual home invasion by aliens. No way. They 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 claim. But isn't that,
3: that in the movie?
4: Yeah, yeah, and it is in the movie.
3: There's some sort of voice that you hear and it's it's not being transmutated out of out actually of had,
4: yeah they actually had to listen to it almost like an EVP yeah. in in the background so that you can hear him grumbling but you can't really make it out oh, awesome. and and so yeah they have this uh they they have this audio recording of a of a home invasion by aliens and the and they have the they have the recording analyzed and they they come to the conclusion after asking the the most talented linguists pretty much on the planet, they come to the conclusion that what's being spoken is ancient Sumerian. Oh,
3: that's right. And
4: that that was problematic because there's only six people or so on the planet that know how to speak ancient Sumerian. Right. Uh, you know, you know very gifted linguists and historians, so you know how is it that ancient sumerian is you know if it's it's faked if it's faked recording then how is it that ancient sumerian is being spoken Mm -hmm. on this tape it's really not possible unless you got one of those six people to go along with your hoax which is highly unlikely Uh, you know uh, know, so how is it that 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 is and it's been verified that that's uh, that's ancient sumerian so how does that tape exists.
3: I think I have the clip here. This is uh, the alien's voice scene from The Fourth Kind. I don't know what this is.
1: I don't, I don't know what's going on. I want to listen
4: yeah. to it again.
0: Will the others feel the same
4: way. What they oh, see I'm all the he
1: saw. i have to proceed with extreme care.
4: What's happened here is tragic, but remains unexplained.
0: Unsolved like will.
3: To determine that that was ancient sumerian in the film that,
4: that, that's what they came out with in the film later in the film they explained that yes
3: so how, if they know that do they have any linguists that know that language to be able to translate that's how that? they
4: figured it out
3: okay yeah so what, do you remember what they say
4: i do not oh, okay. i don't remember what it was if they even they had to have said that it's been a while since i've seen that movie yeah. so i don't remember the actual translation but you know that clip is a little bit disturbing uh, and
3: yeah it's actual like audio from that from yeah, that incident in 2000. That's what
4: she claims that it's an actual recording of an actual home invasion by aliens mm-hmm. so back to the question are they here in peace mm-hmm. um that's not our understanding of peace okay. and you know so i i tend to say no mm-hmm. but that could be a really qualified question. Are there different ones? Are there different races? Right. Are they all from the same place? Are there are there different different ones uh, coming here? Or are they all from the same place? We don't really, we, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. So uh, you know, you just you know, just because, uh, just because somebody from Canada invades your home doesn't mean that all Canadians are your enemy. <laughs>
3: you know, I didn't, I never really gave it that kind of thought until just now, where right. it's like, if we're looking at. Alien species and the various types of races of those, even in subsects of those races, there's going to be a monk version (laughs) of of an alien. And then on the other, the opposite side of the spectrum, there's going to be the terrorist race, you know, but and so it's hard for us to even quantify what those are, even because we only we only know our own morality. We only know our own reality. So how can we even fathom what those those entities are even thinking or, or wanting to accomplish with us? Are we just a science experiment? You know, it, it's so all of these things, all these questions that, that pop up when you really step outside of our own realm and, and to see that there's – even with the possibility of all of these aliens they might not even give a shit about us but at the same time <laughs> it just it not it just feels like i don't know that there's more boiling up and maybe it's because we're becoming more ar- aware of our of our skies maybe because we can we can monitor our skies more both that, are, that we're noticing uh,
4: it well and both can be true definitely yeah you know it's uh more and more people are Getting private pilot's licenses, Mm -hmm. aircraft are becoming easier and easier to fly. Mm -hmm. There are already aircraft on the market that any halfway intelligent person can be taught to operate. Wow. Yeah, the the Icon is a perfect example, which is in flight Simulator 2020. Cool. It's a a car for this guy. You want your flying car, they already (laughs) exist, people. You just can't really drive them on the freeway because wings, you know, they get in the way. It's a thing, (laughs) you know, but – but, you know, they they really do. And so more and more people are taking to the skies, mm-hmm. you know, and, of course, everybody has a video camera these days mm-hmm. yeah, on their phone. And, oh, yeah. you know, it does, I think it does get to a place where the explanation has to be something other than you saw Venus because mm-hmm. people are intelligent and they know that what they saw was not Venus.
3: You saw my Venus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you
4: <Yeah. laughs> yeah. yeah. that's one of, the, one of the favorite explanations, you know, yeah. or it was a weather balloon. Right. You, you yeah. know, uh, um, you'll hear. refraction. And in the course of the interview, you'll hear him get kind of get kind of angry.
3: So, uh, before I play these right. clips from this this interview, can you explain who Art Bell is? I and can. His legacy.
4: Well, Art Bell was probably the the most popular uh, nighttime. Uh, radio hosts that uh, that I've ever ever heard of, anyways, maybe not daytime. And he talks about the difference between nighttime and daytime hosts. He started a show that eventually came to be called Coast to Coast AM back in '84. Uh, I didn't ever I I didn't ever hear of him until uh, until about '91. I started listening to the show in '91, and uh, I would say from '93 to '97 was really the heyday. Of the UFO talk on on the Art Bell show, or you know, we called the Art Bell show. The, the actual name of the show was Coast to Coast AM mm-hmm. uh, with Art Bell, and uh, he he was just very popular. Um, UFOs was probably one of his main topics. Uh, I've talked to you before about the, um, the about the call. They, they came into the Art Bell show from per, a person who claimed to work at Area Fifty One, right. and um, and he he talked about he talked about the the dog that was a sixth generation clone, and I incorporated that into my book. Uh, and I, on all those tapes, I probably have a recording of this call somewhere, but yeah. I'd have to listen to hours and hours of tapes to find it. Which I'm excited uh,
3: to do. You you said you were going to bring uh, your tapes, but because this was so last minute, it just it didn't I work just out. For,
4: forgot to buy, it,
3: which is fine. But now That I I actually went out and purchased a tape player, which was I got it at the Bullseye store. I was like I was gonna go to Goodwill and you know, try to get something, but I didn't realize that they still sold these
4: things. but I wouldn't have thought so either.
3: They're making cassette tapes with new, you know, new music on it now. It's yeah. like what's old is new. Well you
4: can buy vinyl again too. Oh,
3: it's so hugely popular. Yeah. And apparently kids are walking around with Walkmans like this with, with tape players.
4: And what comes it, around goes around. The more things change, the more things stay the same.
3: And I and I think about it and I'm like, yeah, that is actually pretty cool because it was such a tactile thing to actually have to put the cassette in, yeah. press play. And if you wanted to listen to the song again, you had to actually rewind it. You had to wait. <laughs> right. Now it's like you go to Spotify or something, and it's like insta-click, you get all the, the libraries of music. This way, it actually forces you to slow down and actually enjoy whatever it is you're listening to. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to getting through those tapes. I think we're gonna have to do another episode on
4: that. Oh, we could do, we could do that. I got tons of them. And he did a lot of fun stuff too. Ghost to Ghost AM he did every uh, oh, cool. he did every Halloween with people and people calling with the ghost stories and it was a lot of fun but there was a real lot of really landmark moments um on the art bell show when it comes to ufos uh and he talked to people like uh, dr steven greer who is the founding the founder of c seti uh mm-hmm. the uh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence mm-hmm. <coughs> and c seti was sort of the uh, the What would you say the computerized network version uh, of SETI? You know where they use home computers uh, and sort of made the first quantum computer Ah. uh, to to use people's uh, people's home computers as a giant network and to listen to radio noise from space, basically, and to to transmit into space. But um, so Stephen Greer, he he was uh, he was involved with that. A lot of a lot of interviews with him. Uh, As far as I know, he only. He only interviewed uh, Philip Corso the one time mm-hmm. uh, because he died shortly uh, shortly after his books hit the shelf. Uh, the The interview that we're hearing was upon release of the book, oh, wow. and by the time the books hit the hit store shelves, he was dead.
3: Is that a of mysterious? Consequences, or is this is this just the old age? Well, he was
4: in his eighties.
3: He wasn't hard to get if that was the case.
4: <laughs> he was in his eighties. You know, and he was old. I think that's part of why he did it, right? Because he knew he didn't have too many uh, too much time left, right? And that's when a lot of these people do come forward, you know, and and say, you know, then tell their stories. There's been people from the Apollo program that said, yeah, we saw this stuff. Wow.
3: So, uh, so we, we are going to play some clips here All from. Right. Corso's interview uh-huh. um, with
4: Art Bell. Some so, of them are long, so you might know, you might want to just play portions of clips. Some of those clips are kind of long. Oh,
3: that's okay. Well, the, if you if you if you, if we get in the middle of it and you're like, okay, yeah, then you can sum it up then then we'll stop. But, sure. Yeah. All right, here we
2: go. Of an, a developer of non-lethal warfare systems. He is an absolutely fascinating person.
4: This is just and establishing I, his just credentials, model, which are Dr. amazing. Alexander, Great.
2: Uh, good. We've got you. Um... I, you know what i think uh... uh... doctor i think i should allow you uh... to introduce colonel corso uh... many people will not know who colonel corso is they might know he's got a book called the day after roswell and that might be about all they know what would you say of colonel Co- corso
5: beyond that well i first uh, met uh, colonel corso about a year ago and he came to us with a uh, a very unusual story uh... and that had to do of course with alien technology and the things that he has written about uh, in his book uh... one of the things that struck us of course was uh... his credentials and uh, of course, sometimes people fake them so i spent a week in washington uh... checking out his background uh-huh. and i went to uh... The Pentagon, the National Archives, uh, the uh, Army, uh, military history. I also went to the Army War College because a key person in uh, all of the things that he talks about is uh, a Lieutenant General Art Trudeau. And Trudeau, uh, in the, the Army and military at all, was uh, a legend. Uh, in fact, he was so well known that when the Army started doing their um, oral histories he was one of the first eight people to be interviewed now where this gets important is that during this interview Phil Corso sat in every session with the general so here it is uh, 20 years after they both retired and they still remained very close friends and one of the stories is he actually got his boss fired at one time which is not usually career-enhancing, <laughs> uh, but survived that and remain to be uh, very uh, close friends. Uh, so what I can say is when Phil says he was in the National Security Council, uh, he was in this Foreign Technology Division uh, in the Pentagon, I uh, should not be confused with the thing at Wright-Patterson. Uh, this was a small Army thing. Basically, it was Phil uh and a, a position that he held uh until he retired uh looking at foreign material and of course he claims that this uh, some of it at least was from the uh crash saucer
2: so it would be fair to say the colonel is a former army intelligence officer
5: That's true
2: All right uh and he
5: worked in re- uh, with a heavy background in research and development
2: Anyway I've got a little bit more on the <laughs> colonel <laughs> anyway. Uh and I'd like to read it. A uh, former intelligence officer, yes. A uh, part of the Allied Occupation Forces uh in Rome from 1944 through 47. At the end of World War II, Operation Paperclip, which brought German rocket scientists to the United States. During the Korean War, he served under General MacArthur and from 1953 through 57 as a member of the National Security Council under President Eisenhower. It was in 1961 that Colonel Corso was appointed chief of the Army's Foreign Technology Division. It was then, on a certain fateful day, as the colonel tells it, that a file cabinet was wheeled into his office, the contents of which he was asked to examine by Trudeau. Corso was advised the contents were not, quote, run-of-the-mill foreign stuff on Quote, and was suggestively told to research the Roswell file before writing up uh, his summary. Among the items in the cabinet, the colonel says he found a mysterious shoebox of uh, tangled wires, a dull grayish silvery foil-like swatch of cloth that he was unable to fold, bend over, tear, or wad up, but that bounded right back into its original shape without any crease. I wonder if uh, any of you recall from the movie that exact um, uh, description uh, visually.
3: Which movie is he referring to?
4: So uh, the movie Roswell. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, which was not that great of a movie. But
3: <laughs> But they showed they showed a depiction of something like that.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. The I think that was a made-for-TV movie, actually. So, but they absolutely showed a depiction of that medal. The, there's a picture of him, uh, of somebody holding that medal, actually, in in the book here. Ooh, yeah. yeah, and and it's, it's always been, you know, the government cover-up, you know, has always said, oh, well, you know, that was just a piece of tin foil that they did for that they did for uh, for a publicity stunt, you know. But but he, the, what we're hearing here in this first clip is this guy's credentials. To borrow a uh, to borrow a line from one of my favorite movies, The Hunt for Red October. Yes. This is not just some stray pilot with a Mig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, you know, the, this is a top Pentagon official, folks. Right. Uh, he was. He He was. Uh, he was in the. Uh, you know, the occupation force, and uh, coming in from North Africa. Uh, you know into italy he fought under macarthur the guy is a world war ii war hero mm-hmm. uh, he was entrusted with this this country's top research right and research and in de- development and 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 foreign technology he was the top person in foreign technology in the pentagon he his level was above top secret uh, above above top secret and he was a top pentagon official so that's why this interview is, is important. There's been tons of interviews about people who said they saw things, yeah. and people, you know, they always end up in the same place. So yeah, well, maybe, you know, there's no "well, maybe" with with this guy. He's yeah. a top Pentagon official that came forward uh, shortly before he died. Yeah, and and what he said, and if any, you know, and as a lot of people have said of his book, if even half the stuff that this guy claims in his book is true, then we're kind of all living in a dream.
3: Oh, my God. This is – it's insane. It's giving me chills. And you know that this is calculated. Like he he knew what he was doing when oh, he was yeah. releasing this he information. He, he
4: knew he was – you can tell when your body's giving out on yeah, you. Yeah. He, he, he calculated it. So I don't think anybody took him out. Um right. Because the book – funny enough, they've never tried to stop the book from being sold. Crazy. You can buy it on Amazon. They, yeah. they discredited it. They, <laughs> they discredited it when it first came out and said – God, such a great American hero, Mm. and look—he's—he's lost his marbles. Yeah, exactly. They they tried that; it didn't work. Right, people believed him, Mm -hmm. like Art Bell, and Mm -hmm. uh, to to this day, I I believe that the the Corso interview on Art Bell is one of the most compelling interviews and th- that show folks these these things are in our skies and they are real mm-hmm. and the government absolutely knows about them
3: yeah it's just a matter of what and where and how and why
4: yeah, exactly so
3: this next clip i i, I imagine is going to be uh corso speaking with bell yeah okay
2: mm-hmm. here we go i hope Roark, I'm very normal, yes it was <laughs> um and that's where i guess uh with general trudeau in what year
1: i joined him first I as an army intelligence and he sent me to the White House. So I stayed there for four years.
4: The guy was and assigned to the White I House. I... <laughs> What's that? The guy was assigned to the White House. That's
1: for God's insane. Sake. <laughs> in
4: 1960,
1: and I immediately joined him in research and development.
2: What did you do at the White House, Colonel?
1: I was on, on the policy. Uh, the, uh, the Operations Coordinating Board was uh, the policy a guidance system. It, it, it investigated policy and made policy. And we were known as uh, checked up on policy, and I actually chaired a lot of policy groups. And President Eisenhower, he, for example, assigned me a, a case was called the Volunteer Freedom Corps, where we were going to set up units in Germany, mm-hmm. Polish and Czech and Romanians, find a uniform with the uniform of their nation, and we were going to harm them. And he wanted to put this, and I, I worked on that and put in. We already put it in effect, and then he had his heart attack, and it went sort of downhill. CIA opposed it, and State Department opposed it.
4: To be and, clear, he said and I found, he said that we were going to arm them, not harm them. Oh, we, we were going to arm them. It was a, they it sort of sounded like you said harm, but yeah. uh, the idea was to arm those nations to defend themselves. This was obviously right after World War II.
3: And then they they ultimately yeah. said, "No, nah,
1: we're not going to do that. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> probably a bad idea." <laughs> found out later that they used deceptive methods to oppose it.
2: All right. Uh, Dr. Alexander, you went to Washington and basically confirmed all of this background?
1: Uh, yes,
5: and uh, probably a, a bit more. As I said, um, uh, th- th- this is high-level intrigue, but it turns out that it's really true. and That is that uh, uh, General Trudeau, as the Chief of Staff Intelligence, uh, Army Chief of Staff Intelligence, one of the highest intelligence guy in the Army, was fired and uh... Why? Um,
2: or maybe I had to say for what? <laughs> uh,
5: there's high-level intrigue going on, and supposedly he had passed information to uh, Adenauer, which the Dulles boys, who had uh, CIA and State, were quite uh, unhappy with.
4: Now, and- yeah, that's that's really the the central point. There is that Trudeau, his, uh, his uh, Corso's boss was ultimately fired for um telling telling the CIA or you know telling people who talk to the CIA anyways uh, you know about this and the, and there's been a long standing sort of uh long just sort of a, a long standing lack of working with each other between mm. the military and the CIA when it's sometimes so
3: yeah. that seems pretty apparent in all the movies and yeah, all, the, yeah, all yeah. the things that we see depicted of those two those two sure. agencies
2: and intelligence He knew what they were up to. All right, this is obviously going to get uh, fairly complicated, and with all our phone troubles, we've made our way to the bottom of the hour, so everybody just relax
0: for
3: a few moments. (laughs) That was awesome. Real radio right there. Right.
2: Yeah, they don't do it like they used to. Back now to, uh, respectively, uh, Dr. John Alexander in Las Vegas and Colonel Philip Corso. A uh, you're both back on the air again. All right. Uh, so now you went to work, General Trudeau, <laughs> and this is where things yeah. begin to get interesting for you. Yes. Uh, at this point, uh, again, you had never laid hands on anything extraterrestrial. Probably hadn't seen a UFO or anything else. In other words, you were not any sort of ufologist uh, or even interested. Well, I
1: saw a body at Fort Riley, Kansas. But I put that out of my mind until I co- could corroborate information. I
3: can he, in- he said he saw a body?
4: That is what he said. An alien body and in, goes, in Kansas? He goes into it further. Okay.
1: Intelligence and prove it. And later I had, there were some experiences that happened. My radars were picking up objects at White Sands when I commanded the range battalion. Traveled three or 4,000 miles an hour.
2: I guess that we better back up then. If you saw a body at Fort Riley, Texas... Tell my audience. Kansas. It was in Kansas. Kansas, I'm sorry, Kansas. Tell my audience that story.
1: Well, what it was, I was appointed one night post duty officer. Actually, I, lately there have been some criticisms. They said that the security was lax at Fort Riley if I did that. But I was the security officer that night, or the post duty officer. And people know the Army, know that when you're appointed post duty officer, you're responsible for all the guards and security all that night and the post.
2: Why would uh, anybody criticize that? I was in the Air Force, uh, Colonel, and I remember that uh, most all bases had an on-duty officer they, for the nighttime night. Uh, the critics
1: didn't know this. They were in the Army. And really, that night, I was the security. And when I went down, one of my sergeants, master Sergeant I knew well, was Sergeant of the Guard in the... in Because the, we had horses in, in the, the uh, area, the veterinarian area. And he's five... I think it was five of them, yes. There was five boxes there that looked like uh, caskets. And I went in the room because I was a security officer, I had to go inspect it. They told me there was sensitive cargo there. It come by truck.
2: Was it in transit or was it that was in the transit? Fight? It was in transit. All right, I'll so.
1: tell you how I did that. Now, I went in and I picked up the tarp and I saw this body. Of course, I turned a little bit. At first, I thought it was a young you know, baby or something. Then I got a little bit turn like you do in combat you know if something like that happens your stomach gets upset but you recover fast mm-hmm. and i told the sergeant sergeant get out of here because it's a delay i don't want you in trouble I go out to your post and i'll be out in a second I'd put the carp back down tarp. now this only lasted ten or fifteen seconds and what do, you, what do you
2: recall seeing uh... you say you saw a body Colonel. i saw
1: an extraterrestrial skinny arms skinny legs under five feet had a fairly large head, not large, but compared to the body, it was large. And the eyes, they were slanted eyes, no nose, no mouth, no ears. And I, and uh, it was floating in some liquid, and it was a gray color. And that's what I saw. And I immediately dismissed it. I figured, I don't know what it is until I can collaborate like an in intelligence, maybe even later. And later on, I was able to prove what it was.
2: Do you know what that liquid was?
1: No, it- I had no idea.
2: Uh-huh uh... And you say there were a total of five? Is that correct? Five caskets or five? Uh, if that's what you want no, to call them. Oh, they it were
1: crates, like Crate. they had a liquid in them. The thing was floating in some sort of liquid.
2: Okay, what date was this, as best you can recall? It was
1: Fort Riley, Kansas. And the date? Nineteen forty-seven. uh... How, it was in, in Ju- July. July. Because I I went to Fort Riley, Kansas. I was stationed out there for garrison duty. We had an intelligence aggressor force we were setting up. For the military, and we were writing courses for intelligence. And I joined the Department of Non Resident Instruction at Fort Riley, Kansas. All
2: right. Since you're an eyewitness to this, uh, and you're now 82 years old, is that correct? 82. Uh, it's very, very important uh, that we be very clear about what you saw there. This is a, a very key point, I believe. Uh, the Air Force, as you well know, had a news conference and said, well, they were dummies. Now, is there any chance that what you saw, uh, and in fact, uh, as you know, the Air Force at their news conference showed these dummies that they dropped in later years, 1953, actually. Uh, but even if they had dropped them in 1947, they might have. Could you have been looking at a dummy, a non-being? Uh,
1: you know, our, uh, I told people in the late interviews that I will not criticize assistive sister service, and uh, I won't. Because I fought in Korea with them, and I have a lot of friends in the Air Force. But their superiors, I will criticize. There was no question in my mind what it was. I know the difference between a body like that that I saw there and a dummy, or even a monkey, like some said. And then they've even come forward and said maybe it was Japanese in that balloon. I don't know where they get these stories, or why they make them up. It's beyond comprehension to me. They don't have to do this.
2: So you saw a creature. There's no question about it. Yes. I, no I take it. it, I take it, Colonel. You saw the Air Force's news conference, correct? Yes. And you saw the dummies that they showed that were dropped, correct?
1: Impossibility.
2: And that is not what was in in that. Uh... No,
1: no, no chance.
2: No chance. All right. Do you know where these bodies were next yes. headed?
1: I do know. I asked when I came out. I asked the sergeants on the guard, the guard that night. Right. I asked, and they said, "Well." The, they said, we talked to the drivers. It came from an air base in New Mexico. There were five trucks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they were heading for uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. The boys, were, they had a driver and a co-driver, each truck. And the the, boy, the soldiers told the sergeants that. And they, re- they, re- they reported that back to me. It was on its way. And remember, in those days, about one of the only cross-country roads was Route 40. And right. they were coming through Route 40. Right, And they were heading for uh, the Air Force Base in Ohio, Wright-Patterson. And the soldiers told them that. That's where they were going.
2: All right. Do you think that anybody else, uh, the soldiers accompanying these caskets or whatever they were, also saw these beings?
1: Well, the sergeant there that I was with, that came in with me, and then I told him to get out because it was sensitive. Where is that? that sergeant? I can't answer that. Uh,
2: uh, okay, where is that sergeant now? Do you it's know?
1: Been fifty years. Out, I don't know. I wish I did know. <laughs> okay. He was a good
2: boy. Wow.
4: Does that sound some. Does that sound to you like somebody who's lost his marbles? I was just
3: about to say to you that this man does not sound like he has any sort, any shakiness in his voice or any sort of confusion. He is going just by the letter, recalling this like it was yesterday. I mean, he's old, but he he's of sound mind.
4: Uh, it's clear that he's of sound mind. Absolutely. The, the, the air force uh, said that you know it was it was too bad to see to see somebody go out this way.
3: Oh my god, that's that's insane to me. So
4: just as insane as weather balloons and, and crash test dummies. Right. Exactly. <laughs>
3: and so there, so this 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 uh, incident where Corso saw these bodies was in '47. Mm-hmm. When
4: was Roswell? July 1947. Okay, so this is this, this is, is these are the bodies in route from the, Ros- from the Roswell crash. Where were they?
3: What's what's in Ohio? Why were they taking them to Ohio?
4: Right, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Is, is know, that Dayton, just Dayton, Ohio?
3: Is that just a uh, was that just a high level Air Force base at oh, the there's time? There's been a lot
4: of talk about Wright Patterson. Um, really? Some of the some some of the uh, some some of the most high level stuff goes on at Wright Patterson. I'm not in the military. I want to be that. I want to be clear about that. Right. I've never been in the military, um, and I I only know what I have. I read and what's been on TV, but mm-hmm. sure, the TV shows say that a lot of uh, very top secret stuff goes on at Wright Patterson, and I even talk about Wright uh, Patterson Air Force Base very briefly at the at the uh, very end, of the uh, postscript of my book, mm-hmm. uh, the the epilogue rather, uh, where, where uh, in the Trumbull County incident. I don't know if you're I don't know if you're familiar with the Trumbull County incident. I'm not. Can you? You if share? you had read my book, you would be. Hey,
3: I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I knew you were going to give me crap. I'm working on it. Okay.
4: I know. Gosh. I just- I just have a mean streak in me. I,
3: <laughs> I like it. <laughs> hey, it, it's good because it keeps me in check, and then I, you know, makes makes me have to pull out my iPad and look. And at they've
4: it. actually and they actually had this on uh, Paranormal Witness or Paranormal Nine One One not too long ago. Really? So they did a much better job of it than uh, uh, than some of the other TV shows that I've I've seen with it. Basically, what happened uh, was uh, was they, there was this uh, Liberty Townships, and uh, you know, it, it's a very small town. Uh, and this was in, uh, in in I think it was all in Ohio. Might have been might have crossed the, one of the state lines. I want to think, say part of it was in West Virginia, but I could be wrong about that. Anyways, Liberty Liberty townships, um, you, they start getting all these nine one one calls. The 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 sheriff's department does there, and and they start getting all these nine one one calls about a large aircraft hovering over people's homes. Mm-hmm. And, and so really the best way to tell the story is to listen to the 911 tapes because this department gets involved and it starts out as a joke and they're joking about Star Trek, you know. Uh, you know, it starts out as kind of like a joke and they don't, you know, finally they send an officer out to check on it. They lose contact with that officer for an hour. Uh, at which point that's you know anybody in law enforcement will tell you that stops being a joke real quick when when an officer will not respond mm-hmm. uh, you know then that is that is considered that's considered an emergency oh, geez. Uh, so so other uh, you know other uh, agencies get involved at this point and uh, make a long story short uh, it ends up uh, it ends up with uh, three different agencies Three three different independent law enforcement agencies chasing these aircraft got eyes on them. One of the officers climbs a water tower and got a visual on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they called uh, they they called the uh, the local FAA tower twice and were both told both times that the radar was clear. What? <laughs> um, and yet they see, they're seeing them with their eyes. They can right. see these giant craft flying off. They're like, no, I'm looking at it right now. Your radar's not clear. Right. No, the radar's clear. There's there's no, there's no aircraft in the sky. And so it, so they were they were told that twice by the um, by the, uh, the FAA tower and then uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, unconfirmed reports say, mm-hmm. uh, did, uh, scrambled two F-16 fighters to intercept these aircraft. Mm-hmm. Also, the, uh, the two F-16s uh, miraculously also did not show up on radar. Uh, was well, so,
3: so some sort of like cloaking like incident there like that they they would block the radar from picking up anything in that general area that the UFOs are?
4: I think the I think the explanation's a little simpler than that. Okay. <laughs> I think they say uh, no we're it going to it turn the FAA radar tower off. Control that was told exactly what to say. Gotcha. <laughs> so that's what I think oh, that, that was. Um <laughs> w- when the as the F-16 fighters approached they the the craft did, did what UFOs do and went bleep yep. up to about ninety thousand feet and we're gone in an instant. And we don't we don't have technology to if they want to get away from us we don't have technology to chase them. Right. No, and nobody on this planet does. That's insane. So the, so that's what happened there. Um, but what what's really interesting, what's really interesting about the case is first of all the only witnesses in the case are law enforcement officers. Right. And there's witnesses from three different counties. Oh, jeez. It's just so. So that's one of the things that's interesting. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is when the officers all came in to shift the next morning. They were they were told that the they were told to understand that what they had chased for nine hours was the planet Venus. Uh, the everybody everybody who worked at the the or was in any way involved with the FAA control station mm-hmm. uh, uh, near Wright Patterson was scattered across the country and reassigned. Oh my God.
0: Like forget
3: so, about what so, you saw.
4: Yeah, it's known as the Trumbull County shot. incident. And it happened on December fourteenth, nineteen ninety four.
3: So, do you think that that has any relation to whatever we took to the uh, to, to the base there in Ohio? Like, do you think that it has something to do with the evidence that we took brought back from Roswell? Well, what do you mean? Like I, I, when they visited, when when these UFOs were sighted, do you think yeah. that they were coming back to get their own? Like, do you think they were dipping in to see what we were doing with their with their uh, with their with the well, remains?
4: Corso actually talks about that in his book. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is where we get down, start going down Alice's rabbit Excellent. hole. Um Corso talks about the fact that the uh, Roswell crash was actually one of many. Okay. That there have been, been, been many such crashes over the years around the globe, and that the crashes are intentional. Wow. They, they're intentionally crashing their craft, although, uh, ironically, they think that the first crash actually did happen on accident. The first one being Roswell mm-hmm. did happen on accident because it, uh, it happened once we learned to use radar. Uh, and apparently radar interferes with their ships. Interesting. And think back to the 60 Minutes episode when these crafts started showing up on a daily basis, they upgraded their radar. Wow. So radar is the one thing that interferes with these ships.
3: Interesting. What is What frequency does radar work on? Do we know?
4: If you wanted to know that, you should have had me look it up before I got here. <laughs> let me, I, let me I, look should, it up I should know that, but that's a science question that, that that I would need to look up. My 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 head's terrible with remembering numbers like that.
3: Radar frequency bands: C band, four to eight frequency. UHF, 0.3 to one. Let's see. An overview of radar systems. This is gonna get so cool.
0: Yeah,
4: this, uh, this is gonna be sweet.
3: Uh, radar systems transmit electromagnetic or radio waves most objects reflect radio waves which can be detected by the radar radar system and the frequency of the radio radio waves used depends on the radar application radar oh, yeah, systems yeah. are often designated by the wavelength or frequency band in which they operate using the band designations shown in the following table blah 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 blah. so it uses uh differing, a, differing electromagnetic to radio
4: can, hey, the, the technology can be made to work with a Number of different frequencies. It right. Sounds like, yeah, I'm not a radar expert. I'm sorry to say. No, that's okay.
3: <laughs> I, I, that's just very. But curious.
4: It, it, it's super interesting. But yeah, that's uh. Anyways, right. Patterson um, happened to be the closest Air Force base. But every time something in that part of the country in Ohio, by the way, since uh, since I'm a paranormal investigator. So many weird haunts and crazy Hot ghost spot. stories come out of Ohio. Absolutely. Ohio seems to have problems. Yeah. But every time there's a UFO problem in, in Ohio, it, Wright-Patterson is right there, right there in the story.
3: Makes me want to visit Ohio now.
4: Right? I think i gonna have to go. Oh, my gosh. All right, here's uh,
3: here's more from the uh, the Corso interview with Art right.
1: Then I just I sort of forgot about it. And then when I became the missile commander at the range in New Mexico, I start picking up these objects traveling and four thousand miles an hour and I start checking out and our headquarters didn't want to be informed so I, I didn't say much
2: they didn't want to be informed
1: no I th- I sent one forward see on the Nike system I had tapes uh, they looked like a lie detector thing and that, that gave the entire firing sequence so when one of these events happened I would call the battery and said send me the tapes and this showed if it was true or not and they actually were accurate. And later, I discussed this with the radar people. And then, when I went to Germany, I was picking up every once in a while. I'd pick up an object over there going three, four thousand miles an hour.
2: And nobody wanted to hear about it.
1: No, our headquarters. when I sent them the first report. They said we're not interested. Forget it. So I promptly forgot it, and I didn't report it any longer.
2: Uh, Doctor Alexander, um, does that make sense to you, or for that matter, Colonel? Does it make sense to you? Uh, then, certainly, we had not made any statement saying uh, UFOs are no threat to national security. We're not interested. It would seem to me anything flying at three or 4,000 miles an hour would have been of intense interest uh, to the military then or, for that matter, uh, now.
5: Uh, not necessarily. Um, and when you look at things like NORAD and places like that, if, if you bol- don't believe... That there is a threat that can go that fast, and you then say, uh, and you're looking for threat or no threat. Right. And if it doesn't exist, even if it goes that fast, it's not threatening you. It's no threat. And and we were looking for every reason to discard uh, targets, not tr- not to try and include them. Remember, computers were not like they are today. You I mean you've got more. <laughs> Uh, power on your desktop uh, today than NORAD had in those days.
2: That is true, uh, and I suppose my, well, my that...
1: computers are were the cam type. We had a needle that revolved around the cam. Then I got those came from England. Then in my tour, before my tour was up, I had radars, and they were oil data pots, and that was quite an advancement in those days.
2: Uh, and it was of course uh, primitive. Uh, throw out a bunch bunch of RF and get a return type radar. There was no uh, transponder usage or anything like that. So you were constantly looking at what really was in the air.
1: Yes, on wow. uh, my radars, uh, even in Germany, I had two batteries always on the alert, and uh, we were tracking these things. I had uh, uh, an acquisition radar, and then I had two target track radars. There was a pencil beam. Which would lock on the aircraft and lock on the uh, missile, one on the aircraft, and one on the missile,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the computer would bring them together. Now, when you fire Nike's, the missiles we had, uh, we lock on the target, and then the one, that's lo- the missile when it's fired, goes straight up in the air and then dives on the target, and it, it does not fire slant range. So this was the, the Nike system that we had, which was the best that we had at the time.
3: So they had really primitive technology yeah. and they and that in its sense, in itself allowed them to just see pure whatever it was in the sky. There was no yeah. interference from anything
4: straight right and we had early radars as early as uh as forty one
0: mm-hmm.
3: this' just crazy
4: in fact Pearl Harbor. Was one of the first uses of radar, and they didn't trust what they were seeing. They didn't no. know really how to use it, and they saw the return and they thought it was weather because the, there couldn't be possibly be that many planes approaching Pearl Harbor, right? So they thought it was. It's one of the great goofs of history. Oh, like the, they they saw they they saw it on the radar, like well, that's clouds, obviously. What?
3: That's insane. They just I had they, no idea about that.
4: You no, know, they didn't think that there could possibly be that many that many airplanes approaching at one time.
3: And look at us. We're still doubting. Uh, no, they're too fast. Let's just disregard that. Like yeah. we're, well, we're seeing is, all these things on the radar. in plain the You
4: in plain sight. You yeah. know, it, it, the, that is why, that's why the, this interview can exist and the whole world doesn't know about it. Right. I mean, that's why this book can exist and the whole world doesn't know about it. <laughs> because, because if it's not part of your accepted reality – then it then your mind compartmentalizes that differently your yeah. your mind is automatically going to process information as as something that isn't true mm-hmm. why because ufos don't exist mm-hmm. and and that's our that's our culture that up until very recently that's our culture even the 60 minutes guy said this sounds crazy right he said, "I'm not telling you it doesn't sound crazy. I'm just telling you that it's real." <laughs> I, uh, I love that. I, I love that quote. That's I mean, quote. yeah, what these things can do is crazy. That's because they're not from here, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it's very much the ostrich's head in the sand, and that is our response to this. We, we don't want to think the beings from another world are traveling here in spaceships and entering our homes. That scares... We don't want to think that.
3: That scares me more than the idea of being invaded by aliens. The fact that we can just dismiss things as tale, as fantasy... Right. I mean, the we it, the the whole ostrich in in the sand thing is going to ultimately be our demise if we're not actually Absolutely. looking to the skies and seeking answers.
4: Absolutely, and it, it it is just it is that thing. It's it's like the end of the abyss. Yes. You know, you know, you know oh, the director's card. Yeah.
3: It, you. It, it, a, director's card. Yeah, thank it, you. Absolutely, the director's
4: card, Yeah, it's like <laughs> that. You know, it, it it's not going to sink in mm-hmm. if it's in, if it's ingrained in our culture that these things don't exist. You're told this from a. You're told this from. A very young age, ghosts and and men from Mars don't exist. Well, they're not from Mars, but, right? Right. But but you know, little green men don't exist. And it's even now with stuff like this out there, and people that should know better—they talk in the sixty minutes episode about senators who laugh at this and and get a chuckle out of it. And even the, even the president of the United States was recently asked about this and laughed it off. It, it, it's the it's unbelievable to me it's, i guess it's it, frustrating you know, it is frustrating it, it's it, you can't get past that wall right you know people are ju- people are just like this doesn't exist so whatever you say whatever you say i it has to fall within that framework if this doesn't exist this isn't real so whatever you say about it isn't real mm-hmm. and, and it's know, so easy
3: just to discredit it's like nope
4: nope nope no yeah and yeah. And, and it's you know like it uh you talk about the ghosts with our paranormal investigation. How many calls has you know has the show gotten? Say, I can't believe you have these bozos on the air.
3: You know, I feel like we get a lot less of those. Yeah, well,
4: and that's and that's good, but that's because we do our due diligence. And and right?
3: I think that because we're normalizing the conversation, and yeah, I think
4: that's what ultimately that, needs to yeah, happen. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a sort of an important commercial <laughs> <laughs> about this um, on. Uh, I think it might be a Geico commercial. I can't remember, but it's, it's the it's the guy. He's just he, he he's like sipping the uh, you know sipping lemonade and looking out on his lawn. He's like, aliens are real. There's just too much evidence. I mean, look at the data. You can't deny it anymore. But ghosts? Nah. Where's the data? You know, and, and we'll get there with that. We don't want to derail the conversation. No, and, and yeah. The, and the ghosts. But it's part of the same kind of thinking, isn't it? It is.
3: Yeah. And it's just it's the things that we don't want to see, don't want to know that we're so quickly to just say, "Ah, that's just a bunch of hogwash."
4: And obviously the government was guilty of it at one time. Mm-hmm. We don't want to know about that because aircraft don't fly 3,000 miles an hour. And, so and, I don't want to know about it. No, yeah.
3: It's just hey, we got better things to do. We got we got other things to worry about. Yeah. Oh, it's just, this is maddening. Let's get back to this it's interview. A,
4: it's a really interesting window into the human yeah, psyche. It really is because yeah.
3: it's, it's not just, it doesn't necessarily have to be in relation to the men and the, you know, the, the, the aliens, it could just be the way that we function as, as a society in our own little microcosm. You know, it, it, it makes you think about how much control we really do have over our own
4: thoughts. Right. And I, and I talked about the, the Brookings Institute report on the uh, uh, podcast ninety one, mm-hmm. and this was the conclusion that they came to: is don't tell them they can't handle it. Right.
1: <laughs> but I want I want to know
4: I want to believe.
2: All right. Just
1: in case we're going to be ready.
2: All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. You saw a body. In 1947, uh, there's no question about what you saw. You know what you saw. Yeah. It then went on to Wright field in Patterson, and that really was the last uh, uh, contact of that sort you had until when?
1: Well, there was these uh, planes were flying at Red Canyon there, and some things happened there. But then, what confirmed it really in my mind? The collaboration, which is no question, we had we financed a laboratory at Walter Reed research and development did yes sir they had autopsy reports they had one and they did autopsy reports which I had in my file
2: you had autopsy reports in your file
1: oh yes in fact some of that's mentioned in the book and uh, I described the extraterrestrial actually the way I described him in the book that one of the reasons when we tried to make flying saucers and they all didn't work was the extraterrestrial himself or it whatever it was they had no sex organs uh-huh. He was a clone and built specifically by some intelligence for space travel. He was actually a part of the, of the flying saucer. He was the guide system.
2: So technically uh, he was part of the craft.
3: So he was the, 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 the entity was something so advanced that it was basically a bionic drone manning the spacecraft is what he's saying.
4: Biologic, biologic, yes. More like a biologic, John. He was flesh and blood, but he was a machine. Oh my god! And this talks about the, this gets into Whitley Strieber and some. You think see, you think this stuff is crazy? <laughs> read read, read Whitley Strieber. <laughs> uh, but this gets into some of the uh, Whitley Strieber where, where they they talk about the the handprint. The, the, there's a handprint on the flying saucer, and that's how you fly it.
3: Right. So it needs that that interaction that, that, between that interface. Right. Yeah. So they clone these things as pilots, yeah, and they're crashing them because they know that they're just they're just little you know, mini versions. Yeah,
4: uh, the streamer thinks that that's sort of a hive mentality. That it's a very very different a very different social structure. A hive mentality where everybody protects the queen. So right. what's the queen look like? We who knows? Ooh, I hope
3: it looks something like the one in Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> that would be
4: awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, you know it, it, It's just interesting But yeah um, I have heard that They've tried to Replicate them And uh, there's different Stories about that And that's That's the problem With the UFO Thing is that There's a lot of stories Out there that aren't true That mm-hmm. are made up Right and, and a lot of them A lot of people think A lot of those stories Are made up on purpose Right To make anybody Who tries to make sense Of this sound
3: coo A little little smokescreen Right Yeah Yeah
4: Yes
1: he was part of the craft Huh <sighs> <laughs> and he was, he was. The- uh,
3: even Art, Art Bell's going through the same thing oh, I he's, am he's right like, now.
4: Like, uh-huh. Okay. And he, and he'd been doing this for a long time.
3: Yeah. Hearing some stories. The guidance system.
2: Colonel, uh, um, the, the, Colonel, Colonel, um, if I may, how did they make that determination? Uh, in other words, all they had, uh, or maybe I'm wrong, was dead bodies. Uh, did they have any live, uh,
1: not that I know of.
2: Not that you know of.
1: But we know with electromagnetism. And remember, I had some von Braun, von Braun scientists on my team. I discussed this with Hermann Obert at Petermundo. He was von Braun's boss. And he believed in space travel and dimensional travel even. Whoa. And uh, I discussed this with von Braun and my own German scientist. I had two on my team to investigate the line of atoms and metals.
3: So von Braun is, is one of the, the Nazi... Uh, Werner
4: von Braun. Yeah, yeah, he's he is uh, who helped us develop uh, yeah. rocketry. Right. <laughs> oh my
3: God, this is insane. I, I love that we're digging into this. Did, because, did
4: I not, oh, did I not tell you at the oh, beginning that this was a rabbit hole?
3: You did, and I'm so glad we're in it because this, this, this is this is this opening is my mind I up turned way away more.
4: From this because ultimately you just, ultimately you just throw your hands up and say, you know. They're just not gonna lose. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, you throw your hands up and say, "Maybe it's me." Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's me. Maybe, maybe I am crazy. Maybe I'm the alien. <laughs> yeah. Right. Maybe it's all a simulation. It's just it's it, it's maddening, uh, Brendan. It, and This is literally Alice's rabbit hole. Yeah, the,
0: the,
3: but but it's so much fun, and I I I wish there was still that whimsy curiosity behind this stuff, and I, I wonder if we're just all. Desensitized as as people now that well, we've seen all these movies yeah. and all these depictions of what alien and, and space uh, travel can
4: be. I'll I'll tell you uh, you know because that's nothing I haven't said on the show before. But I think what changes your mind right uh, more than anything else on all of this. We can listen to all the Corso interviews in the world. Uh, you know I'm just I'm just some redneck from Wyoming on a, on a, on the podcast. You know <laughs> who knows what I'm <laughs> Who knows you know what, what I'm saying. But no seriously, um, seeing one.
3: yeah yeah. seeing
4: one is what changes you
3: honestly and that's that's i think that's gonna
4: yeah once you see one and you uh, you know it's just there is something about this human condition of ours that seeing truly is believing we can talk about it till we're blue in the face and until you see one this is true with ghosts too Mm -hmm. until you see one you know you're like oh okay (laughs) <laughs> well, it's all real then. Okay, now I understand. I mean, what I saw when I was uh, what I when I saw as a kid, this, the the craft that I saw as a kid was so advanced. Mm-hmm. Just and I knew that as a kid that that you know it, it's. Literally insane to think that anybody on this planet built that thing. Right? It would the entire thing was glowing orange. It, uh, it was a saucer on top and a saucer in the middle, and then and, and then uh, you know more, uh, almost like a sandwich, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, a smaller diameter in the center, flat on the top and the bottom, and about the size of I'd say four boxcars, four train boxcars put together. Mm-hmm. Um, so fairly sizable craft, and it goes over this farm field you know, and, and just stops, hovers over the woods, and then l- later just literally moves so fast that it appears to disappear. Wow. And and I saw that, and then I saw one as an adult, too, which I've also talked about. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know it was a UFO when I saw it as an adult. I you know, I was just seeing this thing over the American River, having uh, coming home from uh, visiting my, my folks for pizza and movie night, as we used to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is back when Dad was still alive. And, and you know, it was, it was about... You know, well, I don't know. Maybe one o'clock in the morning, and I lived in an apartment complex. Of course, it was it was fairly near the American River, mm-hmm. and I'm pulling in, and I'm and I had to park. You know, it's hard to find a parking place, so I had to uh, park fairly far away. And I'm walking, and I'm looking over the river there, and there's this thing hovering about the size of a, well, I don't know, a lot smaller than the one I saw when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. you know, about the size of maybe a couple of of. Toyota Tercels put to put side by side, maybe about that size, okay. uh, and, and this thing's just, no lights on it whatsoever, and it's sort of sort of a hexagon shape, and and almost more triangular, and this bowl or this glass bowl on the bottom of it, and it's just hovering over and I'm thinking I'm looking at somebody's drone. I'm I'm thinking I'm looking at a, 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 a you know something that's radio controlled. Right. I'm not, and like trying to think like what's he doing? You know, what can't I hear if it's that big I ought to be able to hear the propellers or something, you uh-huh. know? You know, so I'm looking at and that's what I'm thinking I'm looking at is a drone. You know, and then this thing just goes without a sound, mind you. From from where I was in this was this was in the uh, uh this was in the La Riviera neighborhood uh-huh. and and 2 seconds it was over Rancho Cordova it oh was just and another second it was over the, over the foothills wow and it was gone and i'm like i just it was like that and i'm like without a sound and i'm like okay well i know what that was yeah you just throw yeah, up your so, hands and go, oh, no one's you know, gonna believe me. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's the only way that a person can believe this is to see one. And
3: just to go back to the reference of the abyss, the end of the movie, yeah. The Abyss, the director's <laughs> cut. <laughs> the director's
4: cut right. We're not
3: gonna we're not gonna get a consensus amongst the planet to believe in aliens unless we have something on display, something that, that says, Hey, fuckers, we can drown you with the ocean if we wanted to. Right. But we're not gonna because we come in peace, and then everybody will go. Oh, okay, yeah. Then you okay, your aliens well, that's just here.
4: The, that's just it, though. Yeah. What if they don't come in peace? Right. And then what? It's just and gonna we, be galactic you know, warfare. And, and there's a Richard Kranen movie that says exactly that. I'd have to look up as to what it was, but I remember Richard Kranen started in it. I think it was that made for TV movie that Spielberg did. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and he's this uh, he's this renowned university psychologist, and in the middle of one of his speeches. Shifts gears, as he calls it, and and uh, and says, You know, I want to talk about something else tonight and starts to spill the beans about UFOs, you know. And, and it's like, and I liked uh, Richard Critter was the guy that played uh, Rambo's uh, trainer in, in First Blood. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's that guy. <clears throat> and, you know, it's like, Well, what are they supposed to do? There's this alien intelligence uh, coming to this world and and craft that we can't possibly begin to replicate. Uh They can come into your home at will, and we are defenseless against them. Uh Have a nice day! i mean is that what the, so i do sort of get the government's position in this yeah because i it's, do get that because
3: it's, it's there's nothing in our power that yeah, we could actually uh, do
4: we can't if you know if they do decide to do something more than come into our homes there's not much we can do about it right we just
3: hope that you know maybe a couple of human sacrifices maybe lay out
4: <laughs> maybe lay have some milk and cookies
3: right. i don't know some peace offerings
4: yeah and, and until we know more about what their motives are um but i to offer a word of hope for what I just said, I think that uh, Area 51, as an example, it, it is clear, to me anyways, it's clear that the government is working in coordination with these beings.
3: It has to be,
4: right? like yeah. they're, 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 And so they're willing to do that. They're willing to work with us.
3: And and it seems there, there are some other theories out there that the tall whites have infiltrated our governments. And hmm, I, I, yeah. are you familiar with the tall yes, whites? I'm I sure am. You are. Yeah. Um and it's really creepy when you do see pictures of of these supposed tall whites. They, yeah. they they they're clearly not uh they're they're far from the human spectrum, but they still look like they're one of us. Right. Um is there anything that you could share about the tall whites that you might be able to to fill in some holes because I'm being very vague about them.
4: Yeah. The only a lot of people think that these are the men in black.
3: Oh, okay.
4: the the, the, the and the, the who knows how far? Let's just uh, the best way to answer your question is with a with some postulations, I like some it. what ifs. Yes, you know, well, you know what? What if a alien intelligence came to our came to our planet and there's nothing we could do about it? Mm-hmm. Best thing we could do is work work with them, right? Right. What if you found out that they were going into people's homes and doing some sort of genetic breeding program that they were interested in the reproductive uh, cycle of humans Mm -hmm. uh, and and these abductions? So you found that out? Uh, You know, it's like, well, we don't really want you doing that. Well, what if you found out that their ultimate goal was to create a hybrid race? What if? and that's a what if yeah. you know that that's stuff that's, for, that, that's stuff for novel land yeah. you know that stuff that that's stuff for fiction land there's, there's no real evidence to point to that yet mm-hmm. yet right but you know but you you can <laughs> what you can do is connect the dots yeah. ufo's are real we know that abduction we know that there's a lot of people who think they've been abducted let's yes. say that yes. that would be safe to say
3: and one of the most prominent ones are is is likely the the fire in the sky yeah. example. But,
4: but we've gotten somewhere here. Yeah. We've really, really gotten somewhere here as the country. Because what did I just say? <laughs> UFOs are real. <laughs> real. That used to be the end oh of the discussion. That used to be the end of the discussion. Right. That used to be oh well, that guy's crazy. He thinks the UFOs are real. Now we can say UFOs are real, mm-hmm. and there's enough people who will agree with you mm-hmm. that we can go on to the next step. Okay, mm-hmm. well, if they're real, then could they be going into people's homes? What about abductions? Mm-hmm. And then we can have the conversation. The wall is starting to break. Yep. And the 60 Minutes uh, episode was, uh, I think, maybe the first first part of that. Yeah. There's people that I thought, you know, the people I've talked to about that 60 Minutes episode that thought, no, it's just another course of interview and it'll. It'll it'll be buried like anything else. If you want to, um, I don't yeah. want to keep you here all day. No. If you want to, uh, no, Finish, fine. finish is, up with this. Oh, this is great. This is great. <laughs> the, right.
3: So, but what what will be fascinating to see is that when they do present the report to the Senate about about what they've found over the most recent days, yeah, how the press is going to cover it and yeah. how the, how the media will will because we are seeing stories of all of this, sure, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody is really. Sharing or their thoughts, there no, no talking heads are going on the news, going, giving these what ifs, not, yeah. po- not even having any of these postulations that we're having
4: here. And our airline, our uh, airline pilots now free to report it because they said they they're now going to encourage reports. And what if the what if the, what if the committee comes back and reports to the Senate, mm-hmm. that uh, which is what I think is going to happen. That we don't have enough information we don't we really it was in the report was inconclusive right and that and that's what all happened and then and and then do we let it do do we let it rest there and say well like they, they couldn't really prove anything so you know the, those those that darn c- commander of an entire f-15 squadron aboard one of our biggest aircraft carriers yeah. he must have just had a mental break he lost
3: his marbles. gosh
4: Darn it! <laughs> so sad to see a great hero go that way. And this is what these—this is what these people do, these people. you know. And, and so, what then? Mm-hmm. Will will Congress have the cojones to convene a grand jury?
0: Right.
3: And and it's does it have to? I mean, it has to go to that level, yeah, in order for the consensus to be made. Unfortunately, through our government. But I think as long as the curiosity lives amongst us and everybody who want to know and want to believe are going to keep seeking these answers out. So I don't think that it's ever going to stop. And yeah. it's, it's one, of,
4: a- one of the things that's really important about Corso's book is that they decided not to censor it. Wow. That's huge. Because that's, because that, you can buy it right now. Yeah. It's a people, it's called uh the day after Roswell, Colonel Philip J. Corso retired with uh, William J. Burns. And you can buy this right now. It's a, uh, See, what does it say on the back about the book? Let's see. Because yeah. all these people are crazy, you understand. Right, of course. <laughs> uh, um, the Let's look at some, what some of the local newspapers said about this book. Uh, the Day After Roswell could be the most significant and important book since the Bible. Sharon Chance, Times Record News, Wichita Falls, Texas. Uh, this book is... <laughs> this book is a godsend. One that finally gives the details and names all the names. Uh, Tim Clodfelter, Winston Salem Journal. <coughs> yeah, you know, and there, there was another one that said, you know, if it, if anything that this guy is saying is true, then he's a traitor because he's because uh, he's violated all of his non-disclosure clauses. Right. Which that part may be true. Sure,
3: but he's dead, and they didn't censor the book.
4: Yep, exactly. So what and, now? And and, that, and, and, that, and what now? Yeah. The the. the the Air Force decided it was much better to let the book go out and say, isn't this sad?
3: Poor man. He doesn't he doesn't have his faculties anymore. Such a, he,
4: such a great American oh, hero, and look how he ended up. That's so sad. To regard him. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Colonel, can you confirm that reverse engineering uh, was going on at either Area 51 or Area S4, uh, those areas out here in our Nevada desert that you are now very close to? No.
1: From the information I had, yes, it was going on. But I don't have the details and never bothered to try to get them because I figured that was a sister service, they're military. In fact, General Trudeau went up in front of Congress, and he was testifying, and he recommended and stunned everybody that instead of like, turn it over to NASA, to turn everything in space over to the Air Force. And people were stunned when he said that. And he actually said this in front of the Senate committee. So um, we didn't bother with them. They were doing their own work. We trusted them and we let them alone. And we figured it's best that we stay where we are to ourselves.
2: All right. To this day, how compartmentalized do you believe it is? For example, do you think the President and our current National Security Council are now in the loop? Or is all of this still off to the side and a government, in effect, within a government that. Uh, that harbors this information.
1: Well, the government, you know, when you talk about the government, it's a huge organization. Of course. And I said in some of my interviews, leave the government alone, it'll cover itself up. <laughs> you know, and that's true, that's what happened. It happened on my POW reports, the missing POWs I sent from Japan. Kissinger, even and Skokov said they didn't, those reports didn't exist, yet they were there, we found them later. They just, people didn't want to do anything with them. When you touch UFOs, people run and hide for some reason. I know, and I guess it's still going on because I've been attacked—minor attacks, so, all nothing of any consequence—and uh, even uh, uh, Whitney Sabert, you know, the man who wrote Communion. Yes, he told me. He said, "Phil," he said, "some of the, at Roswell." He said this. He said, "Phil, some of the attacks are we treading on their territory."
2: Oh, that's right. That's how. That's how you know you begin to get attacked. Uh, do you believe, Colonel, that foreign technology, the foreign technology division, uh, may still be involved in seeding this technology uh, into industry because uh, we didn't figure it all out uh, back then?
1: I really, d- I can't say. I, I'm not clear anymore, and I haven't been in contact for a while. of people tell me, like these uni- people in uniform just told me, it's still going on. So I hope it is, because it's important enough to keep on going. And I think some of these developments, I surprised my son one day because we build airplanes, these Rutan-type airplanes, and uh, a B-2 came over at an air show, and I told him what to do, and he he called me, he said, oh, no, it can't. Uh, Then he he called me up and he said, it came over and it flew like a a little airplane. It held near impossible for a big airplane like that. (laughs) That means some of the developments are going into that craft. It has to be. Say, Art? Yes, John. Uh, on uh,
5: FTD, and, and again, this was an Army, small Army organization, not the one at uh, Wright-Patterson or the Air Force, um, and one of the things I was able to confirm is that uh, when uh, Phil came to the Pentagon, this unit was created, and right after he left, it disappears. If you follow, what I did is go through the phone books. Uh, for that period in the Pentagon,
2: so you were able to confirm that division uh, at that time.
5: At that time, and then it disappears as he retires, hmm. and, and right after Trudeau left, because remember he was working directly for Trudeau, and uh, right after a few
1: months after General Trudeau retired, that's when uh, Phil Corso retired. Yeah, I, I retired six months after he did. Six By months. General Beach, who was, he gave me my last decoration.
3: So this, so. Corso's building planes and he's still amongst the military community and people are flying in and he's seeing this newer technology come out without any explanation. The B2.
4: Yeah. Wow. And I believe the B2 is the Batwing bomber. Yeah. 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 And the, what he's he saying, one. what he's saying is that it's flying too slow. It should stall. That wow. in, in, in aviation and aviation technology, that would be it would you will reach a, you'll reach a point in every aircraft where you do not have enough forward speed, this does not apply to helicopters, obviously, because they use downforce. <laughs> but for airplanes, duh. <laughs> well, I have to say these things. Somebody will call in, you know, of course, red <laughs> but But uh, with every airplane, you'll reach a speed that's based upon based upon the wingspan, the width of the wings, the the weight of the aircraft, the size of the aircraft, how, you know, the the power of the aircraft. All of these things mm-hmm. they go into building an aircraft. You'll you'll reach a point where if it goes too slow, it will stall and essentially fall out of the sky. the uh, The nose comes up and then goes down, mm-hmm. and, and then you, you enter into a dive or a spin mm-hmm. because you don't have enough forward momentum to keep what's called lift under the wings. You have to be going forward at such and such a speed mm-hmm. to maintain lift. So that's those that's the primary physics under the uh, under which an aircraft, uh, you know, an airplane operates. So what he was saying is that the uh, an aircraft the size of the uh, the B2 bomber, when pat when he saw it and it passed over the air show, that it was going slower than stall speed. Wow. By, by his by by his estimation, that's what we just heard him say. Right, but you know he's he's uh, yeah. of
3: course he's losing his marbles and everything he's seeing. Yeah, is, well, this just was his crazy. son that said that.
4: Right, this wow. was yeah, this, this was his <laughs> son that said that, and you know he knows airplanes and yeah. and I, I'm assuming he was retired. His son probably took over the 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 aircraft operations. But yeah, yeah he said this thing's going too slow. It, it should it should be stalling and falling out of the sky. Why isn't it?
3: Yeah, and and so how much of this alien technology? potentially is incorporated in our everyday lives now.
4: Yeah. Because Absolutely, of that. that's that's a whole other question, and that he gets into that in the book. Now, oh, I, one thing I will say from the physics point of view is a large, a very large aircraft will appear to be going slower than it actually is. Gotcha. So, you know, large aircraft have this tendency to look like they're moving very, very slow right. when they're actually, because of their size, it's an optical illusion. They're actually moving quite fast. Mm-hmm. However, when they pass over an airfield that is right in front of you, mm-hmm. that effect sort of goes away. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so assuming that. He he saw it, assuming that he saw it up close, then then we have to take his word for for he thought that that, that it was going slower than the stall speed.
2: Stayed yeah. in touch with General Trudeau. And three years ago he died, releasing you from your vows to him. Yes. And, and he, then what made you decide, Colonel, to write this book? I mean
1: you well, one of the reasons I decided to write it my grandchildren, the three little boys, asked me one day what did, what I do what do you do during the war, granddad? So I figured I'd better leave him a legacy and put on paper, because really, our, I never had any intention of writing a book, you know. That wasn't my area at all. And I started to write. And I put it all down, including my Italian uh, uh, experiences and even other investigations that I did in the government. I started to put those on paper. I, I figured at least I'll leave him for the little boy, a legacy for the little boys. And it evolved into this book, which I never expected to see that.
2: Colonel, if you had not written this book, you're 82, you're not going to be around forever. None of us will. Uh, would we eventually, in your view, know about all of this? Would there be anybody to come forward, or would eventually all those who can tell the story you're now telling?
1: Well, I think that most of them are gone, really, now. Remember, most of the people that were working with me were my age. They all had been honed in combat, and that's how we were able to keep a secret. There was a certain affinity between us and i think that they're mostly all gone because a good percentage of them are older than i was
3: and now there's a whole new generation of of people like corso doing, yeah. doing exactly Start, what he's doing.
1: starting over all
3: over again but we have <laughs> our technology better uh, yeah. our, our documentation it's a, it's be is different, better different record time, yeah. keeping all this stuff is so much better but
4: these guys coming forward when it was when it was all going down for the first time this is huge i mean yeah. they, they were there and you It gets to the point with people like Corso that, you know, this is what the government's afraid of, people coming forward who are beyond, you know, whose reputation is beyond refute. Right. This is one of them. Right. Here's the last clip from
2: there. One wonders, uh, and it is reasonable to ask, Colonel, why you are the only one who has come forward this publicly with this information. It's incredible.
1: I don't know. Maybe I'm— Maybe uh, I don't
2: know any better. I don't know. Uh, Colonel Corso, what you have said, what you're saying in your book and here on the air, is so incredible, so fantastic, that you would have to imagine that there would be elements within the government and out of it that are aware of your information. And there must be some kind of battle going on between the people who know uh... About whether it should become public or not. I mean, this this affects all all of our recent history, Colonel. Um, is there a battle going on? Will there be others? Are you the last? What do you think?
1: No, I've had calls from some of them. Uh, they'll come forward in time, but I can't expose their names without their permission. Now, also another thing, Art. I really don't think that this is going to cause any panic or anything, because I think from what I saw at Roswell, one of the, the Families brought their children up to meet me. They're accepting this. They wanted to know. And they're accepting it. And they're going to go right along with it and live with it. I don't think there's going to be any great explosion or any panic. I think they're accepting it as a thing of the future. And I, I think it'll, it'll end up that way. And that's the way I hope it ends up. It's part of history. It's written now. The young ones accept it. And mostly I want the young ones to accept it because we won't be here that long, but they will still be around. And I think that's what's going to happen to the book. It's going to be accepted. It's what they wanted
3: to hear. What's fascinating about this is I think about my 80-year-old grandparents, and I, I, hear, I, I hear Colonel Corso talking, but I don't hear my grandparents. I hear somebody who's hopeful about the future, somebody sure. who sees through this as a, as a moment in our history to look beyond ourselves. But very well said. But I feel like it's lost on people of those generations because of that conditioning, because of that narrative, because why why would we even think beyond that when all we should really be worrying about is is our little toiled soil that we that we worry about every single day? Yeah.
4: And, and it's worth mentioning to your audience, uh, Brandon, that this interview that we've been listening to with uh, Colonel Philip J. Corso, uh, a top Pentagon official, this interview took place 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took place in 1997. He died the same year. Uh, and, uh, you know, 25 years, we, uh, we haven't made a lot of progress. Yeah. And finally, finally, people are starting to come forward and say, you know what, enough.
0: Yeah.
3: And... <laughs> I'm just I'm my my mind has been open so much uh, over the last couple of years to so many things, paranormal to, uh, you know, extraterrestrial, all this stuff. But ultimately, at the end of the day, after I go down this, these rabbit holes, I do feel more at peace with whatever comes next, because I feel like we're at least asking the right questions moving forward. And at least we're, we're open minded enough to. To allow whatever it is just be what it is and not create some sort of story or or movie uh, script that that creates this idea that there will be panic because like. Like Colonel Corso said, I don't think that there is going to be panic. I don't think there is going to be any explosion. I think yeah, people right.
4: I think people could handle this.
3: Yes, and I think that I think that our government severely underestimates the ability that we have as people to think for ourselves and and, and allow us to to live and breathe freely truth that, that that's out there. It's really sad that that's that's where we are, but I do think that we're breaking through that. That wall is coming down. I think you're right. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brent. Well, thank you. So great having you on here. And I, I, I think that um, I think this is going to help get that conversation going because we've talked about it on the regular on the rad radio show, sure. um, bringing up these stories and how nobody's talking about it. And I think we here have been able to extrapolate reasons why that can't happen. And so hopefully with us coming, you know, with our discussion, maybe you can further the discussion and maybe we can have even more minds open to the possibilities.
4: Yeah. You know, if none of us are getting any younger, nope. the next generation is going to have to pick this up. Right.
3: And hopefully the, whatever comes next in these reports, uh, from the defense department, it's going to the Senate. I, I, hopefully there's some momentum that gets built up from it. And instead I, I predict that it's just going to get swept under the rug. That, Like you said, there's, there's just not enough evidence. It's in, inconclusive. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully, there's more evidence that we haven't seen yet. That that there will be um, some, at least some sort of momentum. Oh, we're no,
4: no, we're nowhere close. Oh, come the on, of the hole. The, come on. the rabbit hole goes a lot deeper than this. Oh, okay.
3: All <laughs> strap in and tune out and drop out or whatever that thing said. <laughs> Uh, thank you again, Brent. We'll have to cut, we'll have to have you back on again um, right. after after all of this stuff surfaces a little bit more and maybe we can uh, dive more into other
4: rabbit holes. Absolutely.
0: Now Namaste, Namaste.